Indeed, a great blessing to be with you tonight. Uh, Our thoughts and prayers are with this church family and especially the family of Brothers Hezekiah tonight and this week. Pray to the Lord, God of all grace, would be with you all and comfort you and grant you a peace that passes all understanding. I don't know where Brother Sam is getting his information from about my preaching. Uh, Whoever it is, I don't know if it's a very reliable source or not, Brother. (laughs) Tonight, for just a few moments of time, if the Lord would be with us and bless us for a few moments, I'd like to look with you at Psalm 45. The psalmist begins... Psalm 45, by saying, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Now let's just pause there for just a moment. He begins his opening statement, My heart is indicting a good matter. We don't use that verbiage in our vernacular quite, indicting. That word just simply means stirred up. It means moved. It literally means the word picture that 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 word portrays is a a boiling pot of water. Or something that's boiling and bubbling. Something that's hot. Psalmist says, I'm moved, I'm stirred up about not a bad matter. You know, there's plenty that goes on in the world around us that could bring us down if we focus too much on the news or on the things going on in our society, the, uh, the, the degradation of our uh, morality in America. We, we could stand here the rest of this night and talk about things that we could be depressed about. But that's not what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, I'm stirred up about a good thing. I'm moved by a good thing, not a bad thing. I I have um, just about all but quit watching the news. I broke a record this past week. I watched 20 minutes, 20 consecutive minutes of a news program, and that's about all I could take. (laughs) I used to be a news junkie. I used to could watch Politics and news, and Dana would just leave the room when I started watching the news. I don't watch any of that, and you know why? Because I would get stir- I would get stirred up, <laughs> but it wouldn't be about anything that was good that they had to say. The psalmist says, "I'm my heart is moved with excitement. I'm hot. I'm 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 fervent. I'm not cold about this." Good matter that is stirred up in my heart, uh, and I'm not stagnant about it. Uh, I'm, I'm warm with zeal, and I'm moved by a good matter. Notice what he says that he is stirred up about. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. 
Not the world. The king. I'm speaking about things, he says, that touching, that's touching the king. I believe this psalm, and I think it'll become more and more evident as we read it tonight, is speaking of no other king than King Jesus. Amen. And I'll tell you this tonight, child of God, <laughs> Uh, and I'll try to move on from this thought as, as depressed and as consumed and as uh, down that we can get about the world and our situation and what's going on around us. <clears throat> I heard a very able minister one time, I believe it's Brother Sam, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I believe I heard him say that our outlook is determined by our uplook. Amen. How we look, the way we look up will determine how, determine how we look out. At the situation in our world. May God help us. To get stirred up. About good things touching the king. The king of kings. And the Lord of lords. And he says this. It's an interesting statement that he says. My tongue is the pen. Of a ready writer. That's pretty language to me. That's pretty poetry. I'm so stirred up. I think in our modern vernacular. I don't want to try to. Uh, um, uh, manipulate the words of Scripture, but I think he's saying, I'm so excited about what I have to say, I'm about to pop. <laughs> My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I'm ready to talk about what I have on my in my heart. I, I was reminded about uh, uh, an expression the psalmist would say over in Psalm 66 and Verse 16, he says, come and hear, come, come and hear all that fear the Lord, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Come and hear, draw near, get closer and listen up, and I'll tell you about all that the Lord hath done for my soul. That's what the psalmist is saying here. My tongue is the pen. I'm ready to tell it. Of a ready writer. And then he changes a little bit of his... Um, uh, he starts saying vow. He changes the person, the tense in what, he's, in what he's speaking from. He says, Thou art fairer than the children of men. You know, I was thinking recently about this verse... Fairer than the children of, of men. And I don't know what many things more precious than a newborn baby. There's, not, there's just not much more precious than a newborn baby. And I'll tell you this. When a newborn baby comes to church for the first time, the preacher just may as well hang it up. He's not going to get very much attention or very much thought that Sunday morning. <laughs> Because everybody's mind and everybody's thoughts are going to be on ooing and aahing and cooing and touching and stroking that newborn baby's skin and smelling it. But I want you to notice what he says about the thoughts concerning the king. He is fairer than the children of men. As precious as a newborn child is, our king is fairer than 10,000. To my soul. Amen. Because of why? Because of what he's done for us. Because of what he's doing for us. Amen. And because he's what he's promised to yet do for us. Yeah. He's fairer 
than any children of men. Grace, he says, is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. The Apostle John in John chapter 1, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he would say this, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I would have loved to have been in the company of the Lord Jesus Christ when He was preaching one of those sermons. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have loved it? If I could be in a... If somebody ever invents a time machine... <laughs> And I have my chance to ride in one. I want to go back. You know, some people will say they want to go back to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Well, that would be pretty impressive. I'd love to be there too. But I'd love to go all the way back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And hear our Savior speak and preach. Because there was grace about His lips I remember an expression over in Luke chapter 4 where the Lord Jesus Christ has come back from uh, being in the wilderness and being tempted of the devil those 40 days. And he goes to the synagogue, it says, as his custom was on the Sabbath day. And he stood up and he began to speak and he began to read uh, from a passage in Isaiah that's about himself. And he began to say that this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, and it says that all that bear record or bear witness, and and all bear him witness, verse 22, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Wouldn't that be wonderful to go back and hear Jesus Christ preach? Uh, I'm so thankful in my short ministry for men that I can look to, and, and, and sometimes in my study, sometimes I'll think, I wonder how so-and-so would say this, or I, I wonder how, I wonder what brother so-and-so would, how he would present this or word this. i tell you, there's no better example for preachers or anybody in how we speak or do anything than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He says that grace was poured into thy lips. Verse 3 says, gird up thy sword. Now that's an interesting expression. He's going from grace to a sword. He's going from uh, talking about grace in his lips to a sword on his thigh. Gird up thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, and with thy glory and with thy majesty. I believe, uh, in my mind is settled, that this is talking about the sword of warfare that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished at Calvary. I believe, in fact, I was reminded thinking about this over in Isaiah chapter 40, where the the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry out to her that her warfare is accomplished, and her sin is, is pardoned. 
Tonight I have the most, the most wonderful news that you already know that I'm going to remind you. Your warfare against sin and death and hell and the grave is accomplished by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's finished. That's what he said. Now, if it's not finished, either he was mistaken or he wasn't telling the truth. Neither of which I, I, I'm I, I willing to go there. Are you? <laughs> he said it's finished. And when he says it's finished, he said, your warfare, cry out to Jerusalem and tell her her warfare is accomplished. And her sin is pardoned and she shall receive double for all her sins. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ went to war. Gird up thy sword. He went to war so that you and I wouldn't have to. Now, you and I still fight battles, do we not, in this world? We, we still fight the battles against the flesh. We, still, we fight battles uh, against the world. And we fight battles against the, the adversary, the devil, who as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's everywhere. I mean, he's, he's all in the world. We fight those battles. But I want to tell you, at the end of the day, the warfare is accomplished. And heaven is our home. Not because of what anything that we've done, but because of what the captain of our salvation has accomplished on our behalf. Gird up thy sword upon thy thigh. Verse 4 says, And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. That word prosperously just simply means successfully. Aren't you glad tonight that you and I can come and rejoice in a prosperous, successful, accomplished Savior? Ride prosperously. That's not talking about the preacher. and That's not talking about what you and I have to do to, to finish what he's done. He's accomplished successfully. He has ridden prosperously in the accomplishment of salvation. For our sins. Now, for time's sake, look down at verse 6. And this is the key. These next two verses, I believe, hold the key that show us that this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, Thy throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest, iniquity, hatest wickedness. Therefore, God... Thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Amen. Now that's the key right there that shows us that this psalm is speaking of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 2 or maybe chapter 1 and read to you a quote from the writer of Hebrews that God says, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 begins with God, God, who in sundry times and diverse manners spake unto the prophets, spake unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by a son. And then in verse 8 he says, unto the son he saith. Now the saying, the he that's talking is God. In verse 1, the, the he that's saying 
is the God in verse 1, unto the Son, he saith, listen, thy throne, O God, is forever. Sound familiar? A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now what that is proving to you and I is number one, that Jesus Christ is one and the same with God the Father. That is God the Father calling, addressing Jesus Christ the Son as God. Amen. And when, I was, when we lived in Gray, we used to have some good people that would come around our neighborhood and uh, uh, knock on doors and handing out uh, uh, religious literature. And, and um, I would talk to them there in the carport and, and, and they would try to tell us how that, you know, Jesus Christ, the, the man Jesus, was not God, he was the Son of God, and he was the first creation of God, but he wasn't one and the same with God. And here's one of very many verses that will dispel that heresy and, 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 and concrete to us that Jesus Christ is the same as God the Father. God the Father is speaking to the Son and calling the Son God. Isn't that wonderful? And he says this, after he establishes the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever. That's speaking of the eternality of the dominion of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, we're not, we're not waiting tonight for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back and set up a kingdom. We're not waiting on some future time, way off in the future, for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back and establish a kingdom. His throne is already forever. He's already the king of a kingdom. The Bible says that his throne is from everlasting to everlasting. Now that's a long time, isn't it? He's God. His throne is forever. And his scepter is a, is a scepter of righteousness. In other words, he rules righteously. Everything that he does, every decision that he makes, every decree that he proclaims is righteous and holy and perfect and pure. What other king can you say that about in the history of man? None. His scepter is a scepter of righteousness and everything that he does is just and right. Now, I want to close tonight with verse 8. This is really what drew this portion of scripture on my mind. Verse 8 says, All thy garments, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, all thy garments smell of myrrh and aloe and cassia. Cassia, if we had time, we could go back in the book of Exodus and find where Cassia was a plant, an herb that was grown, that was used in the anointing of priests. Way back in Exodus chapter 20 or so, Cassia was used to, as, a, an, as, a, as, a, as a, an, an ingredient 
for anointing oil for priests. And these other two elements, myrrh and aloe, were used for um, um, embalming oil, for, for, for sweetening fragrances. In fact, you remember Nicodemus, when, he, when they brought the Lord Jesus Christ down off of the cross, Nicodemus brought, I think it was a hundred pound worth of these elements, oil, excuse me, uh, aloe and myrrh. It was interesting to me to read that that's even in the Song of Solomon as a, as a perfume. That seemed kind of odd to me that, that they would use for perfume the same ingredients that they use to embalm the dead. That seems like a little bit, uh, that seems a little awkward to me, a little strange. They would use that same fragrance. Brother Alex's not here tonight, so I'll pick on him. I don't know what Sister Erica would think if he brought home a, a, a bottle of uh, uh, embalming fluid and splashed it on his face for uh, aftershave. I don't think she would like that very much, probably. But I, let me tell you what I see in this. When, we, when you and I consider the death and what the death of Jesus Christ accomplished for us, it is a sweet fragrance to our soul. And there's nothing sweeter for the child of God that realizes he's a sinner than to realize that that sin has been paid for and, that, and, and, and been forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of thy garments smell of myrrh, aloes, and cassia. And this is the phrase that drew me to this psalm. Out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. If you were to ask anyone around, especially around Christmas time, where was Jesus from? Where was Jesus from? Somebody would say he was born in Bethlehem. He was born as a baby in Bethlehem. That would be correct. Somebody might would say, well, he grew up in Nazareth as a young boy in Galilee, the region of Galilee, and all those are not wrong. But where did Jesus Christ come from? Jesus Christ came from the ivory palaces of heaven itself. He left the glory and splendor and opulence and majesty of the beauty of heaven where He lived with God the Father before the world began. And He left that wonderful place to come to this sin-cursed mess. And die on a rugged cross for our sins. Out of the ivory palaces. There's a hymn writer back in the 1800s, no, in the 1900s, that, that wrote a hymn called Out of the Ivory Palaces. And the, the chorus, we don't have it in our hymnal, but the chorus says something like this. Out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe. 
Only a great Redeemer's love made my Savior go. I tell you, child of God, when we consider where Je- what Jesus left to come to where He came from and to do what He did, oh, doesn't that beg our honor and glory and worship and service to His matchless name all the days of our lives? Bless His name tonight and may God bless you as my prayer.